everybody. Welcome to the Skyline Baptist Podcast. Uh, we're here. I'm Josh Hill. I'm here with Alex Cowan, John Wiggins, and today we have special guest, church member Chris Lim. He is a coordinator of a state human trafficking task force and uh, just an all-around cool guy. Uh, so thanks for being here, Chris. <laughs> but uh, we're going to kick off our time together uh, with uh, some scripture. So Alex is going to take us away with that. This is one of the scriptures that Platt asks us to proclaim at the end of the chapter. And it comes from Psalm 82, verse 4. And it says, Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So a verse for us to proclaim and ask God in this moment. Hmm. Man. It's cool to have, you know, scripture straight from the mouth of the Lord saying <clears throat> these things that we're going to talk about. I love that Platt always points us back to something that we can proclaim something that we can pray specifically that comes straight out of Scripture. It's such a massive thing that I think it's helpful for us to do. Well, how do you want to start this thing, John? Uh, well, I'll share one more verse. Uh, Psalm 711, another one he says to proclaim, God is a righteous judge, a judge who feels indignation every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, what, a, what a good word for uh, those who have been impacted, particularly by... Um, trafficking and so forth to know that there is a righteous judge who is compassionate and cares uh, for those who have experienced uh, this this injustice. So, um, that's a good thing. Good thing to know about the Lord. Um, as far as uh, walk, walking through it, um, you know, discussion t- uh, time, kind of what, what we've done in the past, Chris, is walk through the uh, a few thoughts from the um, from the reading, you know, just share a quote or whatnot. Um, you know, obviously the first part of this is a lot of story. You know, Platt shares uh, a story that's kind of international, kind of um, you know, away uh, from a lot of us uh, who are sort of in this American culture. And so, uh, but then he kind of brings it home and, and says, "Hey, this is an example of how this can happen." right next door, you know, uh, in terms of a, of a young girl who has an unhealthy relationship that ends up bringing about her being in kind of an exploitations type situation, you know, and an abusive situation. So, um, you know, I think for us, you know, uh, thinking about um, the right next door, a lot of people maybe even watching have no, no idea how, like, they think about this and they think about maybe a movie, you know, uh, I know I, I do, you know, I think about a Liam Neeson movie, right? I mean, <laughs> that's the one that probably always comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I think about. Um, the movie Taken or whatever, there's like a sequel, right? I don't know if it's any good. I don't think it's fine. Yeah, any excuse they can get for Liam Neeson to talk menacingly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Is there anything, I mean, like, because that's, that's what's in the mind of most people that are watching. Like, is there anything that maybe we could, like, you would think of that would that would say, "Hey, here's here's how you can better think about that." Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. And um, he brings out a couple things in in the chapter. One is the fact that it, it happens in every mm-hmm. every state. You know, there's mm-hmm. been uh, victims um, found and and perpetrators arrested in every state in the United States. Um, and, you know, in, uh, I had the opportunity uh, over the last few years to do research specifically here in Alabama. And, you know, we, f- we found that it's happening in, throughout this entire state in different forms. Right, right. And I think that was one of the interesting things is that, that 
looking here at Alabama, it's mm -hmm. almost like a microcosm mm -hmm. of human trafficking throughout the United States mm -hmm. and around the world. Because just about every form of human trafficking that exists around the world, to some degree, is happening right here in our state. Mm -hmm. And it's probably pretty similar to, to just about every other state. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's, that's so, yeah. 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 Heartbreaking and eye-opening. I remember, right. I remember having a, um, there was a policeman. Uh, speaking at an event, somewhere it was a youth event, it was actually on, I think, sex slavery. We took the youth group uh, down to Hillcrest High School and they'd done a huge event for all the um, high school students in Tuscaloosa to make them aware of what was going on. And they, they, the police had just recently made a couple of arrests and they, they, um, there was these group of people who had these girls and they were moving them from Tuscaloosa to Atlanta to Memphis, a week in each place. And they would... Uh, double the amount of girls they brought in for football weekends. I just remember that sticking with me. Like, here's this time of football that I look forward to, counting down the days to Alabama football, and yeah, there's these poor girls who are just dreading it. And they're getting driven into Tuscaloosa mm -hmm. for all these people coming in for the game to use and abuse them. Mm -hmm. And it's just going on right under our noses. Yeah. They, and they talk about that a lot around the Super Bowl too, you know, yeah. things yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the reality is, and the truth, I guess, is, is a little bit broader, is that whenever there's any kind of event, uh, it could be a convention, it could be, you know, um, a convention of, you know, electronics, you know, or yeah. something like that. Whenever there's any kind of event where, in particular, there's going to be a bunch of men gathered from, um, you know, outside of the area, um, there's likely going to be trafficking there. Mm -hmm. um, and they, it's a business. They, you know, they... They know what they're doing and they plan around these different events and you know places where they happen. Mm. Yeah. I think it's all linked to what we've been going through so far through our study of counterculture is talking about how we as a church need to be, you know, fighting against poverty and or supporting orphans and widows because it tends to be mostly people who are in a vulnerable situation, they come from a broken home, their parents are in poverty, um, the most vulnerable people are the ones who are taken advantage of. Mm. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I'm so glad you brought that up because, um, you know, sometimes we, we think of human trafficking in terms of, um, in terms of a gender thing or a racial thing or, you know, um, something along those lines when really it, it boils down to vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And you know, in this chapter, Platt's talking specifically about sex trafficking mm -hmm. and focusing particularly on girls. But he does say that there's other forms of trafficking mm -hmm. and that boys are victims as well. And I think it's helpful to broaden that out because you know, I, I've had the opportunity to work with victims domestically here in the United States, you know, here in Alabama, in Tennessee, in California. Um, and I've also had the opportunity to work internationally, you know, with victims in Southeast Asia and, and did some work in Africa and, and Middle East. And the, the common theme is those vulnerabilities that are being exploited, mm -hmm. yeah. you know. And so um, the, the chapters that we read previous to this one where it talks about poverty and it talks about um, the uh, adoption and um, what was the other one? Orphans and, or, orphans and widows. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Those are all points of vulnerability. So yeah, orphans and widows, abortion, mm -hmm. and and poverty. Um, 
these these traffickers are master manipulators, mm -hmm. and it's not all like taken where somebody's running in and you know grabbing somebody and throwing them in a, in a van and taking them off to Eastern Europe. It's oftentimes uh, it's like the second example that he uses, mm -hmm. where somebody comes along and befriends a, a young girl that's vulnerable because maybe she just had an argument with her parents mm -hmm. or you know something's not going right in, in her life and befriends her mm -hmm. and is kind to her and they start a relationship and um, and those the exploitation of those vulnerabilities is how it starts yeah I was thinking you know that that situation particularly you know most people would have they'll probably interact with her maybe at her workplace if she had a, a job outside the city where that was or whatever like probably had no clue that anything like that was happening to her you know um and and she would probably seem to almost everybody around her to be a pretty normal person may have even went to church uh may have even went to yeah you know whatever um but was pretty i like what we see in that story that's kind of highlighting the the trafficking part of it is is you know just a part of the whole thing of this going on in her life and, and that that man's life so does that make sense like yeah. like uh and i think that's kind of um that's interesting I, the thing that broke my heart as i was reading just um was to think about people worshiping and serving a god who could be pleased with exploitation you know i mean like when we think about shiva and so forth and the, the hindi context particularly um uh, you know, to think about um, how, how even the religion of a culture is kind of being leveraged for mm -hmm. exploitation. I, it's just, just so sickening to me, you know? Because yeah. um, I mean, we have a God who's, who's not like that, you know? I mean, like, well, we know the true God, and He is not like uh, that. It could never be pleased with someone being taken advantage of like that, you know? It's just very similarly. Back in 2014, between 2014 and 2017, we all witnessed the rise of the Islamic State and how they took over Iraq and Syria. They had a, from the Mediterranean to the Iranian borders, massive. Mm. And one of their calling cards was they, um, they bought and sold women like slaves. And these men would go over and fight there and they'd have all these women, they'd enslave the local populations. And it was the first time that I was able to watch people being sold at slave markets and all these type of things. And they thought it was their religious duty that they were yeah. making God pleased by enslaving these women yeah. and how wrong they are. Mm -hmm. God's heart is broken. He's, he's, he's an indignation mm -hmm. of that behavior. That's, you know, I'm glad you brought that up too because, um, Chris, I remember one time you came and spoke with the church and we talked about kind of reshaping some of the vocabulary that we use even in witnessing to people mm -hmm. just because of negative connotations that they may have if they've come out of a traumatic experience like this. And so, you know, constantly we talk about in church ease being a bondservant of Christ or, you know, no longer being slaves to fear but being set free by Christ. But at the same time, you know, there could be people listening to this podcast going, well, he's talking about people not being taken advantage of. He's talking about, oh, that's not pleasing to God. That's not anything like that. But we constantly refer to ourselves in the sense of being servants of a greater master. And, you know, some of those things might... I feel like we need to take the time and kind of explain a little bit of that and where the differences are found mm -hmm. in having the perfect master that we know as, as Jesus and it, one of those exploitative and, and horrible situations that we're reading about. Mm -hmm. Well, we serve a master of Jesus Christ who's not trying to take advantage of us and exploit 
exploiters, he laid his life down for us. Yeah. He was yeah. the one who was exploited so that we would need to be exploited. Yeah. He is the, yeah. he's the key difference is he's the good father who gives, well, God is the good father, who gives us the best gift in the Holy Spirit, who cares for us. He is our shepherd. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think Platt said it on 125, said the Christian gospel does not depict God as a master doling out a list of demands for, people, mm -hmm. for men and women to do as slaves in order to please or appease him. The gospel depicts God as a master who says, I will meet you where you are in the depth of your sin and suffering, and I'll save you, and I'll restore you, and I'll redeem you. Mm -hmm. I'll purchase you by sacrificing uh, my life uh, so that you will one day be free from all sin and all suffering. Yeah. That's a total different picture. That's right. That's <laughs> right? right. I mean... Um, yeah, I think I think we do see some of those other significant truths. That's kind of the gospel sort of uh, picture, but we also we, we know certain things that are true. You know, and I what Scripture says that we are image bearers; that all people bear the image of God. Right? We 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 know that we have dignity in light of in light of that. Mm -hmm. We know that God is the owner of all things, uh, and He is sovereign over all, and. Um, uh, we are not owners of men, you know. I mean, that's fundamentally different, um, right? Uh, so, um, <clears throat> yeah. So I think that's some other things that I thought were significant that he yeah. shared, as far as going back just a little bit there when we talk about people, vulnerable people in need. Um, I was preaching through when I preached in Genesis. I preached Genesis thirty-four, which was the defiling of Dinah. Which is a very difficult passage to preach. Yeah. But yeah, one of those visitors came <laughs> yeah, week, that was first great. week, and it's uh, <laughs> that was all sort of abuse uh, going on, and mass murder, and circumcision. <laughs> it's really difficult. Not the easiest passage in the world. But I use this quote here, and I want to know your thoughts on it. It's from a man named Jeff Rogers, who is from the United States Institute Against Human Trafficking. Don't know if you've any idea who he is. He said this. The United States is the number one consumer of sex worldwide. So we are driving the demand as a society. We're also driving the demand with our own people, with our own kids. Roger said, um, so there are tremendous numbers of kids, a multitude of kids that are being sold as sex slaves today in America. And these American kids, American born, 50 to 60% of them are coming out of our foster care system. Mm. So yeah. you talk about vulnerable. Yeah. There's a, there's a place where they're coming out of these broken homes, no mums and dads, and they're these people, I mean, it's evil, going in and preying on these kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why the attack on the family is, yes. is so insidious against um, our faith and, and really against just a civilized society in general. Because that is true, that... Um, foster systems obviously aren't like evil systems. They're, they're there to help kids that, yeah. you know, that, um, that need it and don't have support otherwise. But it does create vulnerabilities or they come in with vulnerabilities because they don't have um, a, uh, a, a, a solid family structure. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that's exploited. And, and yeah, the numbers are, are pretty high in terms of kids that are in the foster system that um, that that become victims of human trafficking um, as a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of reasons why it's not just the foster system, but yeah, yeah. that's mm -hmm. it's it, it's again those vulnerabilities. Yeah, that wasn't an attack on the foster care system, just a highlight of yeah vulnerable kids being the ones who are yeah. and being targeted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think um, the the connection that Platt makes with um, uh, trafficking and, and 
the pornography industry. Mm-hmm. I think a uh, significant thing to mention, you know, uh, here. And, uh, you know, he, he says this, that a third of victims uh, trafficked um, are used in the production of pornography. And so uh, that, that's, that's pretty massive. Another, another um, source said it was half, you know, and, uh, of those who were victims. Um, uh, of, of prostitution, other countries reported being also involved in, in pornography. So um, I thought it was really, probably one of the strongest statements in the book was, was when he said um, this uh, statement about the, the hypocrisy because we have a generation uh, of, of people my age and younger who were really passionate about uh, sex trafficking Yet at the same time, and, and opposed to it, and at the same time, producing it in a real sense. Like, like he said this way, he said, uh, the conclusion is clear, no matter how many red X's were written on our hands to end slavery, as long as these same hands are clicking pornographic websites and scrolling through sexual pictures and videos, we are frauds to the core. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That was the strongest statement he made in the entire mm-hmm. chapter for me. I mean, I was like, wow, wow that is... So true, because he back he shows that with statistics of how many of those same people are doing are doing that are are, are uh, falling prey to pornography on the internet and so forth, and then um, and they're getting used. You know, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's the picture there. They're getting used to, and and they're even being leveraged to uh, continue sex trafficking and, and make it a more robust uh, um, industry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And, and I mean, I'll expand it a little bit further too. Um, and you know, we all um, we all feel that I think hypocrisy in different areas, you mm-hmm. know. And so as the knife is stuck in, I'll twist it a little bit. Because, <laughs> um, you know, because in the in this book, he talks specifically about sex trafficking, mm-hmm. but we know that there's labor trafficking too, mm-hmm. and. Sure we're also contributors to that, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, each one of us, um, not intentionally, but each one of us probably every week purchase some goods that are touched in some part by victims of labor trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and when you look at the numbers of victims around the world, um, there's actually more victims of labor trafficking than sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, it's difficult, you know, and I wouldn't say that that's necessarily hypocrisy, but it shows us the extent of the issue and mm-hmm. how, as a, as a church, we, we do need to be aware of it and then try to figure out, well, what can we do? Mm-hmm. What can we do as a church to, to do, do we, you know, stop buying Apple phones, you know, or, <laughs> or yeah. wear Nike yeah. products, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so, yeah. I'll be, be, be thinking about that personally. Like, when I go on Amazon, I type in something, the, the most easiest and cheapest thing for me to buy is usually made in China. Mm-hmm. And there's a government that um, puts Christians in jail. And, literally um, committing a genocide. It's literally committing a genocide. Right now. And, and, and I'm, you know, this year I've started to be thinking, should I buy something from China? Right. You know what I mean? I never thought that before. Right. But now I'm starting to think through that. Am I supporting yeah. That through what I'm buying. Yeah, so I don't know. That's just that. I'm not telling anyone to boycott things from China. <laughs> I'm just saying how I'm, I'm personally starting to think through it myself. Right. 
And I don't know that there's an easy answer to that. Because my, my computer's from China. Right. My phone's from China. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, not going to... Yeah. And I'm a total hypocrite here. Multiple <laughs> 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 Apple logos on the table yeah, right. right now. You know, you know uh, yeah. I'm not the answer to this. It's just something I'm thinking through. And just because something is made in China obviously doesn't necessarily right. mean that it's, it's, it was uh, made by slave labor. But we do know for a fact that that's happening right now. With, yeah. You know, with, in China with the uh, Uyghurs. Um, yeah. And, um, but it's happening around the world. You know, the coffee that we drink and, you know, right. um, you know, how do we, you know, are there ways that we can try to make sure that we're minimizing mm -hmm. our kind of human trafficking footprint, if you will? What are ways that we can minimize human trafficking footprint? So I think some some ways are just that we could be more mindful of you know um, fair traded you know products mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, we can you know probably be a lot better in the areas around pornography consumption, um, around just consumption, and not just pornography because you know the, the average movie or song or you know whatever that 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 people enjoy today probably 20 30 years ago that's right. would have been like whoa you know that's yeah. that's mm -hmm. off limits mm -hmm. um, and and as a society we've normalized the sexualization of children right. um, and, and girls in general you know and we, we're in this weird we're in this world weird stage right now where um, some people want to say that that uh, you can't that it's wrong to objectify women, mm -hmm. and then other people want to say that that it's wrong or it's okay if they objectify themselves, mm -hmm. you know. And so they see that as empowering, where they you know women objectify themselves, and then so as a society we're stuck in a situation where well which which one is it you know it, right. is it wrong to objectify women or is it is it okay under some circumstances? Like during the, the Me Too movement, you have this um, move to hold men accountable for the ex sexual exploitation of women. Mm -hmm. um, and you have all these men being accused and charged and sentenced for horrible things they've done. And at the same time, we live in a society where more people than ever are viewing pornography and women being abused, abused on a camera. Right. And they're watching it. Right. And it's, I, I was shocked that pornography survived the Me Too movement. Well, and, and people are standing up for it, like you said, as, yeah. as empowerment. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a massive movement for the, um, not only decriminalization, but legalization of sex work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. yeah there's sort an upside down world. And a, yeah. a culture that has, is speaking at both sides of its mouth. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of the answer to your question is that we do things like what we're doing right now, is we really understand what the scriptures have to say about not just these issues, but the principles behind the issues, mm -hmm. so that we can apply those principles to, to the specific instances that we find in life. And uh, it's, uh, I think that, that it's great that we're doing this, going through this book and doing this podcast because of that. Quick question for you. Don't open a can of worms. Uh oh, this is gonna be dangerous. It's gonna be this is actually gonna be a, a topic we do cover later on, so we're gonna go in more in depth to this. In America, there are uh, millions of people who are here um, as illegal immigrants, mm -hmm. and um, because of that, they sort of live in the shadows of society. Mm -hmm. um, 
And because of that, they're taking advantage of. Right. Because they're not going to go to the police because they don't want to go to the police right. for fear they might get deported. Right. And we see that in labor right. and construction companies. Right. And I'm sure that's the same in, in sex slavery as well. I'm sure some of these girls are petrified to go to the police right. and they feel they're hopeless. Yeah. Um, is that something you see in your research or yeah. is, that, is that? Yeah, and I, I think that's a good example, you know, and this, this again speaks to understanding scripture and principles behind that. So I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's Proverbs 16.10 that says, and, and this is a... Um, I'll check it. I'll check it. But it talks about that the righteous man has regard for the life of his beast, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. And so what it's telling us there is that, that sometimes people might have good intentions. And I think people in politics or society in general um, often do have good intentions, but they haven't thought through the ramifications of policy or legislation or, or, or whatever. Is it 1610? Um, 1610 is an oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not say Maybe 1016. Don't be mean to our guest. Oh man, he's never coming back. Okay. <laughs> they are anywhere close. Yeah. I think 1016 is the wages of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked is to sin. That's not it either, but that's in there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's in here though. Yeah, I think it's in our in book, book of Proverbs. <laughs> <laughs> that chapter. It's like you know, something the good book says. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But the uh, the point is that people have good intentions, I think. Mm -hmm. But when you don't think through the ramifications of policy or or, or legislation we can end up with these problems. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, what we're seeing right now with, with the issues around migration is one of those. And so we're having um, so many children and unaccompanied minors mm -hmm. being um, brought to the border um, that they, they, they can't sustain that. And because of our policy, you know, many of them are being released into the uh, general population. And um, there's not sufficient vetting going on to whom they're being released to, and um, what they call home studies, uh, which is a follow-up after that. Um, and because they're not doing that, these kids are ripe for being trafficked. Mm -hmm. And so um, many of them, not all of them obviously, but many of them are. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's in that when we are trying to be compassionate and do things you know, out of goodwill, we, we need to be responsible to think through and plan ahead of time for what will be the consequences of those actions. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. But we'll be talking more on that topic later on, I do believe. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. The next couple of chapters. So I guess, you know, just before we finish out here and, and close our discussion, it's easy, you know, kind of as we talked about, the end it campaign with the red X's, and it's easy mm -hmm. for us to, um, to break this topic or to think of this topic, I suppose, as a transcendent kind of massive issue. Um, and, you know, we can talk about it, and we can do a lot of symbolic things, and we can pray about it, of course, and that's a massively important thing to do. Um, but when it comes to tangible things, you know, we talked about being vigilant. We talked about, um, as 
believers looking around at the people around us and trying to see some of these warning signs that you've talked about. Um, but maybe what are one or two things that we can tell the average person watching or listening um, just to, to do that might help? I, I think that one practical thing that we could do, especially as believers, but really, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're, and they're not a Christian, and, and, and you know, they can do this too, is, um, is kind of what, what John, you're alluding to, is being compassionate and kind and understanding towards people. Because the, when we're talking about sex trafficking domestically here in the United States, um, the majority of the way somebody becomes a victim is through somebody exploiting relational vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. So maybe they don't have a strong family life, or maybe they're having difficulty with other friends. And when when we um, treat them kindly and compassionately, we we don't know, you know, um, who is being targeted by these traffickers. And they are kids in our churches and people that in schools and in our neighborhoods. Uh, but if we take the time and just listen to what they're struggling with and help them think through, you know, um, solutions on how to deal with that, that's a very practical thing that really doesn't sound like, hey, I'm battling human trafficking. But it's getting at the heart of it. It's getting at prevention and causing people that would otherwise be vulnerable to no longer be vulnerable because they have somebody that will listen to them. And I, I think that in, in part, that is, when God speaks in Deuteronomy 10 and, in, and, in, and even in Exodus 2 about why we're to love the vulnerable, mm -hmm. um, he, he brings it back to, because you guys were slaves, right. and I brought you out of there, and that's how, that's how I loved you. Mm -hmm. And so when we love the vulnerable in that way, many times maybe not even knowing that they may be being what we call groomed to become a victim of human trafficking, we're, we're demonstrating that same type of um, salvific love, if you will, from God, where, where they're seeing Christ in us and being drawn to that and away from potentially being victims. Mm -hmm. Great, great word there. Well, thank you, Chris, for being with us today. Um, just want to uh, invite you, if you have any question about what it means to, to be a Christian or how to be a Christian or uh, what it means to follow Jesus and trust in Him with your life and with your soul, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you have any questions, if you've been reading ahead in the book, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that too. You can send us an email. Our emails are found on our website. Uh, but know that uh, in spite of all of the, th the good things that we've talked about, the only true hope that there is in life and death is in the person and work of Christ Jesus. Uh, and we sincerely hope that you come to know that truth uh, and apply it to your life. Uh, but until we meet you again, we love you and we're praying for you.